what we saw in the the multifamily space is that on the bridge debt side, there was there was kind of a need in the market for short-term debt for when you're acquiring these multifamily assets with value-add potential and then, you know, growing them and adding value and then refinancing. There wasn't anyone out there really doing the bridge side of things super effectively. We saw that as an opportunity to create our niche in the debt space. And we started lending out money to real estate investors who were buying multifamily, new construction, value-add. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Eric Panecki. Eric is a co-founder of Leverage Capital Ventures, a private mortgage and origination company. Leverage Capital Ventures connects investors with financing for all major product types in the growing urban and suburban markets to develop office, industrial, residential, and retail spaces. Eric, this business, they have, they have a very unique business model, you know, where they have both equity and debt in-house. It's really cool that they can do this, ultimately bringing different skill sets that he and his business partner had and, man, putting them in one house. It's incredible to hear how that is working for them, how that's a hedge, you know, different types of markets for them as well. He is going to go into interest rates and some of those things that he expects to happen. It's neat to hear his perspective considering, I mean, he's a lender, right? And so I love hearing some of the things he talks about around interest rates, maybe some things that he expects over the next six to 12 months. I know you're going to learn a lot from Eric today. Eric, welcome to the show. I'm honored to have you on. And just from what I've learned about you already, you have a unique business. In our world of syndication, you all do some things that are very unique. And I'm not sure that I've had anybody on the show out of however many episodes now, what, almost 1,300. I don't know that anybody that does exactly what you're doing. So looking forward to the conversation, the listeners are going to be intrigued by what you all have accomplished and are doing in, in your business. But give us a little more about Eric and who you are, and let's jump in. Yeah, Whitney, I appreciate the intro. And Thanks again for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. A little bit of background about myself. I come from, well, I've always been an entrepreneur. You know, I've always been entrepreneurial growing up, whether that's, you know, shoveling snow for for money or mowing lawns or starting a party cleanup business in college. I've always had that that entrepreneurial itch, if you will. And I kind of got started into real estate just looking for what a lot of people look for financial freedom, not having to, you know, answer to the man and and figuring out a way where, you know, I can kind of create the life that I I wanted, you know, around me and not have to answer to anybody else. And so that was what was intriguing for me about real estate. I got started out in the debt space, lending money to real estate investors, working for a small hedge fund, you know, focused primarily on fix and flip investors, hard money, right. To use the term, and that's how I got my start. I didn't last there super long, probably nine months. I, I don't think I was ever really meant to be an employee. Left there, you know, was flipping a million dollar house in, in Montclair, New Jersey, which is, if you know, New Jersey is a, is a high end market. Was definitely not ready or not in a good position to be quitting my job with a hard money loan, an eight grand a month mortgage payment and was just figuring it out. So from there, started brokering loans, met my partner, David, who was doing similar stuff, you know, some short sales, some some wholesales. We partnered up about three and a half years ago and, you know, started doing, you know, what a lot of people do when they start out in real estate, which is, you know, wholesale, fix and flip, you know, one to four family space. And as we grew, we both knew that's not where we wanted to stay. So we started to focus more on on the commercial multifamily space where we started acquiring assets 
you know, five plus units multifamily in the New York, New Jersey markets, which is a pretty difficult market to do business in. But if you do it right, you can do really well. And that's scaled up. We've we've got an amazing team here and we've grown to do about 100 acquisitions annually. And what we saw in the, the multifamily space is that on the bridge debt side, there was there was kind of a need in the market for short-term debt for when you're acquiring these multifamily assets with value-add potential and then you know growing them and adding value and then refinancing. There wasn't anyone out there really doing the bridge side of things super effectively. We saw that as an opportunity to create our niche in the debt space. And we started lending out money to real estate investors who were buying multifamily, new construction, value-add. And that scale that we started that business about a year ago, and that scaled to do about $100 million in loan volume just last year. And we're really excited about that business. So that's my background. We have a really amazing team, and we're excited for the future. Now, just so the listeners understand, you all are requiring commercial real estate, but also providing debt as well. So you're kind of both houses there. Exactly. Yeah. My business partner, Dave, comes from private equity. And what we saw larger institutions, a lot of them are doing is, you know, they have both the debt and the equity platform, which is really a hedge against each other. When typically when equities are doing really well, the debt market isn't as attractive. And then when the debt market's super attractive, equities aren't doing so well. So we saw that as a natural progression and and a hedge against, you know, maybe future downturns in the market. Yeah, that's incredible. So, you know, LifeBridge Capital, we're, you know, what, a $325 million in asset center management, 13 to 1,500 doors, depending on what we're buying and selling at the moment. We want to start, I'm just, this is very hypothetical, not really. We've never thought of this before. We want to start, you know, getting the debt business as well. How would we do that? Go get some money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it starts with money, right? I guess technically it really doesn't, right? So, the debt business, even the bridge space has become a lot more institutional over the past couple of years. So in the mortgage business, generally the originators don't hold hold the notes, right? They're selling off their paper to whether it be mortgage-backed securities or, you know, they're selling to the bigger banks. And the same has become true more in the bridge space. So there's investors that are buying notes, right? So if you're going to lend out money on either, you know, one to four family or a commercial property, Typically, at the end of the day, there's a loan buyer that is going to buy that paper from you for for a premium. So the originator gets paid, then the loan buyer gets paid. So the, the loan buyer is aggregating a bunch of these notes, and then they're collateralizing them and then selling them off again to larger institutions, whether it be Wells Fargo or Chase Bank or one of these bigger bigger banks. So the first thing to do, I mean, you can absolutely be a balance sheet lender and keep loans on your books if you're just looking for a set return. And I think it's, you know, really defining what your investment goals are. So if you just want to, you know, have a nice return on quality assets, you could absolutely do that. If you want to scale your business and you have limited source of capital, you're going to have to have a loan buyer so you can turn that money over quickly. So for us, it was starting to find out those loan buyers and then going after money and make sure that we could capitalize these these loans. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I mean, we can raise money, but we've never thought about providing debt. Right. So anyway, just interesting thought, you know, how you all have both of those dynamics, you know, in your business. I guess, tell us, how do investors see that? You know, if they're partnering with you all, what does that look like from their point of view? Maybe questions that they have or concerns or, you know, or or does it just, you know, give them warm and fuzzies that, hey, you know, that you all have both of those things in house? On the debt side, you know, we went about it. First, we were 
we were basically doing what I said. We were, we were funding loans and then we were selling them off and we didn't have a fund structure. We didn't really have it all figured out initially. So it was more like, Hey, you know, if you give us the capital for this loan, we'll return your money in a month and pay you out whatever return, whether that be 50 basis points, a point until we figured we turned it into a well-oiled machine. At which point when we had to prove a concept, then we went out and we raised a fund with that concept. So the debt fund is pretty attractive because it's got pretty safe returns. You know, we're giving out seven to 8% preferred return to our investors plus 50, 50 on the upside. So depending on our execution, that could, it models out to be about a 12% return. And it's backed by real estate assets that are discounted at market value. So that's a little bit different than on the equity side of things where, you know, you're really raising on a deal by deal basis, right? So both are interesting to our investors, but I think what people like about investing with us is that we have control over both, right? And we can understand, you know, what the debt's going to look like. Our assumptions aren't really assumptions because we already know, right? So having that all encompassing approach, I think has, you know, alleviated a lot of concerns for investors when they're investing with a company that's been a bit around for a year or two years or three years or I'm only 28 years old, right? So to have that knowledge and that basis backing us, I think has been really important. That's incredible. It's neat you say, you know, that it's not an assumption anymore because we we know, we know what it's going to be. That's incredible. Speak to, you know, a bridge debt right now. Is it too risky to have bridge debt right now or, or floating rates, things like that? What should the listener be considering right now around bridge debt or the type of debt as, you know, just in our current state of the market? Yeah, I would say it's it's always risky because especially in the commercial world, right? Cap rates are really centered around debt assumptions as interest rates rise, you know, cap rates also are going to rise instead of compress, right? So your valuation at the end of the day is is a lot contingent on the takeout financing. And over the course of the last 4 weeks, we've really seen a large jump in interest rates on a lot of these DSCR loans, the debt service loans that we're doing, we've seen 70 to 80 basis point jump over the last four weeks. And that can really make or break your returns at the end of the day. So I think everybody should be thinking about the worst case scenario always. And you want to be able to build a business that you can feel confident about for the long term. So there's a lot of these attractive, you know, five, 10 year arms with interest only options out there right now. It's very competitive. But at the end of the day, after five years, you might see a 200 basis point jump in your interest rate. And then you're holding all of these properties that might not make you any cash flow. And you might not be able to sell now because the cap rates have gone up drastically just because of the debt. So what we try to do is, you know, assume the worst case scenario and try to get when we go into long term debt, we're looking for 30 year term financing, even if the rate's a little bit higher now, just to be able to sleep at night at the end of the day and not have to worry about rising interest rates and keeping an eye on the economy at all times. Hey guys, it's Whitney. I wanted to take some time to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com. They're a national private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities. They do this with private accredited investor funds. They have a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and control over $250 million in equity from their investors. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easier for you to start investing in real estate without all the hassles. 
They even have an average 62% repeat investor rate in each offering they put together. They even have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to fix and flippers locally and across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. To help you learn more, they have put together a free passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download the PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. So before we go into that a little more, maybe I'd like to know, you know, any predictions that you have just for the real estate market over the next six to 12 months? It's hard to say, right? I think anybody that, that gives you a real prediction is, is guessing. Sure. But I'll give you my best guess. I'm an economics major, so I, I definitely you know, love to keep an eye on the economy. My thought process here is that rates are going to rise. They have to. We're seeing massive inflation right now, and they, you know, the best way to combat inflation is to raise interest rates. That said, the United States in particular is in so much national debt that they can only raise rates so much. Right. They can't raise rates the way they were in, you know, the 80s, 90s. Right. Because it would put us in a position where we can never pay back our debts. So I think rates will rise to what effect? I don't think we're going to see, you know, 10, 12 percent interest rates anytime soon. But I think they have to combat inflation to an extent. So I would assume rates to continue rising over the next year, maybe another 50 basis points. Maybe a point. I'm not sure, but I don't. I don't see them going down. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Now I think there's some good things there just to consider to think through. Just maybe how our government would would look at things. Right? I just think it's interesting to you know they can't raise it too much, or we could never pay back our debt. Well, to speak to how maybe just what you know about that and even majoring in economics and just your your debt experience, those things. How has this changed how you all are underwriting deals? Like I said, you know, we're we're primarily focused in the commercial real estate space. So commercial for us, I'm talking about five plus units, multifamily. So the majority of our loans are in that space. So when we're looking at funding a bridge loan, we're looking at the after repair value, right? Just like you would in a, a fix and flip situation. The difference is the driver of that ARV is really dependent on the cap rate. And then the cap rate is going to be really dependent on what the takeout financing looks like at the end of the day. So we're modeling these out and we're asking our appraisers to assume a little bit higher interest rate on the takeout. So that'll allow us to you know, basically factor worst case scenario if rates do rise, that the value is still going to be there. And I think investors should do the same, right? I think nobody really knows what's going to happen, but at the same time, I'll say, we can't sit here and wait and say, oh, well, I'm going to wait for the market to crash before I do anything either, right? Because we all know those people and they would have been waiting for the last 10 years, a really, really long time for, for a market and crash. And lost out on millions of dollars. Exactly, exactly. So I think it's a balancing act, right? I think you have to be okay with some risk in this business and you can try to you know, plan for the worst, but hope for the best. And that's, that's kind of what we do. I know you just raised for a fund. Tell us some lessons learned around that. My biggest lesson is people invest in people, right? You can have the best pro forma. You could have the best pitch book. You could have the best anything. At the end of the day, if they trust you and they like you, they're probably going to give you money. If they don't, right, then they won't. And for me, that's been 
A good thing, right? I think at the end of the day, when we started to go raise money from people, I realized that, you know, they were investing in us and it was, it wasn't really, you know, we spent a lot of time, money and energy building this, this crazy pitch book and pro formas and waterfall structures, right? Everything that everybody does when they go to raise money. And that's important, but at the same time, just, you know, being open and honest and making sure that you have a good product that you can stand behind and you believe in and being able to deliver on your promises is I think the most important thing. So when you go out to raise money, just remember, I think people are investing in you and whatever you say you're going to do, make sure that you're able to execute on it. What's your best source for meeting new investors right now? For us, it's been word of mouth. We raise money from someone, they refer us to someone else and then they you know, once you're in with a group of higher net worth individuals and you deliver on your promises, that leads to another one. For for us, it's been word of mouth. What are some daily habits that you have that you're disciplined about that have helped you achieve this level of success? Whitney, I was actually listening to another one of your podcasts yesterday to prepare for this. And I think you said something along the lines of 80% of successful people have a morning routine that they stick to. And I couldn't agree more. For me, when I'm in a routine, when I'm, I'm very consistent with my morning routine, it's an absolute game changer. And when I'm off, I'm off. And everybody knows I'm off, right? So <laughs> I think it's it's really, you know, just being super disciplined. I wake up every morning at five o'clock. I set my alarm. I go to the gym. I make sure that I plan my day out. I review my calendar. I set my priorities. But just having, I think you could have, I don't know if there's a set morning routine that is the best, but I think just having that discipline every single morning, be very consistent and meaningful with your mornings, I think is super important. Yeah. I, I just find that there are people that say, no, I don't have any kind of morning routine. I just get up whenever and do whatever, you know, there's no consistency and they're very, you know, ultra successful in whatever business they're in. That does happen. However, I just find, you know, 1300 interviews, man, more times than not, People have a consistent routine and they're constantly educated, constantly moving things forward, you know, and whatever that looks like in themselves and in their business and whether it's, you know, physically and mentally and their family. And it's kind of applies to all those parts of your life. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I appreciate you, you listening and, and even bringing that up. And if you could pick one thing that's contributed to your success, I mean, at 28 years old, you and David have accomplished a lot. What would you contribute that success to? I would say, you know, building a, a good team. For us. And we started out thinking that we had to do everything. And the minute we realized like we can empower these people and help them become the best versions of themselves and allowing them to grow the business along with us. We have a very, very open culture here where everybody has a say and everybody has an opinion. But I think everybody here will tell you they feel like an owner. So sometimes it's bad because we're arguing with each other and you don't want to say, oh, well, you know, hey, I'm, I'm the boss, like, you know, sit down. You can't do that, right? And it creates a little bit of inefficiency, but I think everyone here cares more about the job than any other culture I've ever seen. So we all feel like owners, and, and that's empowered us to grow without necessarily having to force the issue all the time. Everybody here understands our goals and, and where we want to take this thing, and everybody's bought into that. So my biggest thing is building leaders, right? And understanding that I don't have to be the one in charge all the time and allowing our people to take charge and build this thing along with us. We would be nowhere without our team and we have a really amazing team here. Give us a corner or two on building a culture like that. It wasn't easy for sure. We, you know, we've hired consultants and managements, 
structuring companies to help us get it there. The culture's always been pretty open, but allowing people to run departments has been huge for us. We created KPIs for each department. So even if you're not involved in that department, you have somebody else leading it, you can quickly check in on you know last week's progress and all the measurables and see how that department's doing. And what that's allowed us to do is instead of being involved in everything, being able to just high level look at numbers and see how that department head is running their numbers. So week over week, we have what's called a scorecard for each department and the company itself. And we can run our numbers and look and see. And what that's really allowed us to do is empower our leaders to take charge of these departments without totally relinquishing control entirely. We still can get insights into where that department is doing and how it's stacking up. But that's been huge for us. How do you like to give back? How do I like to give back? The best way I can give back is I have a passion for financial literacy. I think it's one of the things that is just not taught in school. And it's almost so simple to me. And I think a lot of people in our space, it's not known, right? It's just not, you know, there's little things you can do, such as like, you know, getting a credit card when you're young, right? And starting to build your credit or not signing up for $200,000 of student loans without knowing what career path you want to take, right? Or, you know, getting a car loan on a brand new, you know, Mercedes when you could have bought a 2010 Honda Civic for four grand, right? And these are like things that almost to me are intuitive, but if you don't do things the right way, you can really dig yourself a very, very deep hole. And I'm not a Dave Ramsey fan where no debt, you know, don't ever take out any debt, but... At the same time, I think there's smart things you can do through the course of your life that can really set you up for future of success where you don't have to be burdened by the white picket fence and your wife needs a Range Rover and you know you got to make sure you keep up with the Joneses all the time where you can actually have your own financial freedom just by making a few smart decisions. So my, my best way to give back is I'm always trying to teach that in our company. We're starting to do some philanthropic things around our city to teach financial literacy in the city, Newark. That's where we're located. And just ways that we could give back and teach that. So then later on, you know, these people can live a life where they don't have to be so burdened by debt. Yeah, it's awesome. We've done a disservice to so many generations by not teaching any kind of financial advice or just how to think about money, you know, through middle school, high school. It's crazy. All those years where, man, just some simple things could have gone such a long way in helping so many people. But I would also say, I bet Dave Ramsey doesn't have too many fans that are in the debt business. Right, right. <laughs> no, anyway, I think a lot of Dave Ramsey as well, but yeah, it might apply a couple of things a little differently than what, what he would do around debt. But but anyway, you know, Eric, grateful to, to meet you, have you on the show. It's just neat to think about, hey, having the equity and the debt in-house, I mean, both, and having a business in both of those fields. I think that comes from both your backgrounds as well, right? You know, and having those skill sets and, you know, it's building that team, right? Finding those experts that can bring things like that in-house, whether it's equity and debt or whether it's other asset classes or whether or whatever it may be. It's, man, so much about building the right team. And sounds like you and David have done that very well. Love the culture you all built there there as well and how you describe that as everyone feels like owners. And there's a lot to be said about that type of culture. You know, I mean, people take pride in what they're doing. They see it less as a J-O-B, right? They're they're ready to get there and, and want to do it well. And so grateful again to have you on the show. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Instagram's a good one, at Eric Panecki. You can look us up, Leverage Companies. I'm on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, 
definitely you can find us on LinkedIn, search our website. My email is eric at leveragecompanies.com. Feel free to reach out anytime. We'd love to have a conversation, whether it be debt, equity. We're really trying to blow this thing up. And Whitney, we're grateful for you having us on and everything you're doing. I, you know, I've learned a lot from your show and it's it's been it's been really awesome seeing you grow and we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day. 